it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On May 31st, 2017, Shantara Hurry received a call at work from one of her two sons. He told Shantara that he couldn't find his older sister, Naomi Jones. She would normally watch her younger brothers until her mother got home from work, but after taking their English bulldog out for a walk, Naomi had vanished. Shantara left work and raced home. She looked everywhere around their apartment complex in Pensacola, Florida, but couldn't find Naomi. Others in the area began helping with the search, and one person asked a man who lived in a neighboring apartment if he had seen Naomi. He said he hadn't, but in the back seat of his car was a dark secret that would eventually shock the community. This is Monsters. Robert Howard was born on March 3rd, 1979, and was from East Bruton, Alabama. In high school, he was an athlete who ran track, but not much else is known about his childhood. He had spent most of his young adult life in prison. The personal details of the other people involved have been redacted. I've just been waiting on this to happen because I knew it was going to happen, so that's all, that's all I wanted to know. That's fine. What is your your background or your history? Or well, when I was in high, well, right after I got out of high school, me and a girl was messed around. Um, she got pregnant, and her was like a master or whatever. So it was more of I made her than it being consensual to the point of yeah, because we had been doing this the whole summer. And so I said I got um. Well, I copped out because I didn't have no money to try to afford a lawyer, so I had to cop out, and I did 15 years. How old were you? Like 18 years old. And how old was she? Like okay. What year was that? 1998. What was the charge? Um, first degree rape. First degree rape? Yes. And that was in Alabama? Yes. According to Robert, he got a girl pregnant and she claimed that the sex was not consensual. But that's not all. Was there was there another charge that you had in your history? Yeah, it was um say the same thing, it was just another girl put in, baby like basically like I did this same thing to this other girl. You got her pregnant or you just No, I didn't okay. get her pregnant, it was just we was messing around and she say I made her. And it's the same time that this other girl said the same thing. And Basically, they said I did the same thing to both of them in the same night at the same time. Robert claimed that his public defender didn't help him and he had to take a plea deal and spent 15 years in prison. 
This happened when he was 18 years old, and though their ages have been redacted from the interrogation footage, one of the women was above the age of 18 at the time, and the other was under the age of 18. So right off the bat, Robert is already a registered sex offender, but is claiming he was wrongfully convicted. Robert was released from prison in 2014, and at some point began living in a trailer park in East Bruton. He also began working at a company that repaired train freight cars. Robert met Lauren Ewing around 2015 at a party in Bruton. Lauren eventually moved to Pensacola, and Robert would stay at her apartment for a few days at a time. Because of his sex offender status in Alabama, he was only allowed to be out of the state for no more than three days, so he explained to detectives that he would stay at Lauren's apartment for a few days, and then he would go stay in his trailer for a few days. The couple had one child together at some point in their relationship. On May 31, 2017, Lauren went to work at around 6 o'clock in the morning. She worked double shifts at Walgreens in the pharmacy and on the floor. Robert worked nights at his job back in Bruton, so he had the day free. According to him, he went to the gym at about 10 a.m., and then he went to have lunch with Lauren at about 11.30 a.m. She had needed something from her apartment, so Robert drove her home over her lunch break and then back to Walgreens. From there, Robert claimed that he drove directly to Bruton to visit a friend. It was sometime around 1.30 in the afternoon that Naomi had returned home with her brothers from walking their dog and then went back outside. She never returned. Naomi Jones was born on April 15, 2005. Her mother and father didn't stay together and Shantara went on to have two sons with someone else. Naomi was a fun-loving young girl who enjoyed making slime. Different colors, some with glitter, some without, she would make videos about the different kinds of slime she made. As Naomi got older, she became a very responsible pre-teen who did what she could to help her mother out. That included watching her younger brothers while her mother was at work and also taking care of her English bulldog. Naomi wouldn't just watch her brothers, though. She would take her allowance money and get 3x5 cards from the Dollar Tree and make flashcards to help them with their spelling. Shantara tried to use a babysitter when she could, but in a pinch, Naomi would always be there to pick up the slack. They had strict rules for being home without an adult. Don't open the door, stay in the house, and keep the door locked. They were only allowed to go outside to walk the dog. When they did, they had to all go together, they had to stay together, and weren't allowed to talk to anyone. She checked all the places that Naomi normally went, including the local skating rink, since she had plans to go there with some friends later that day. But Shantara had no success locating the girl. At that point, she called the police and reported Naomi missing. Like many law enforcement officers, the initial thought was that Naomi might have run away. But when Detective Michelle Wirt looked into it, she noticed that Naomi hadn't taken her cell phone or her purse, which was unusual for a young girl. The detective also found that Naomi was responsible and happy, which made the idea that she would have run away even less likely. Of course, when a child goes missing, they are most commonly taken by someone they know, so investigators started focusing on who that could be. First, they began looking into Naomi's father, Robert Jones. 
He and Shantara didn't have a good relationship and authorities thought he might have done something to get back at her. They found messages on Naomi's phone that showed she had recently reconnected with him, which definitely piqued the interest of investigators. They met with him, searched his home and his car, but found no evidence that he had been in contact with his daughter. It also turned out that he had a solid alibi for the time he went missing and was seen on surveillance video in that location. After that, they moved their suspicions to Shantara's ex-boyfriend, Arthur Bruce. Authorities had found some text messages on Naomi's phone from him that seemed flirty. Detective Wirt felt suspicious about them, and when they finally got in touch with him, he was evasive. It turned out that he had a warrant out for his arrest for something else and clearly didn't want to be in contact with authorities because of it. When they finally were able to confirm his whereabouts, he also hadn't been anywhere near the apartments during the time Naomi went missing. Investigators were now back to square one. Shantara told the detectives that Naomi liked a boy from her school and that she had recently gotten into a fight with his ex-girlfriend. When authorities talked to her, she admitted to having an argument over the social media app Snapchat that day, but she said she hadn't seen or heard from her since. Shantara also suggested the investigators look into a couple of residents of the apartment building who she described as quote-unquote creepy but one of them had been in jail when Naomi went missing and the other was eliminated as a suspect. They looked at the Florida sex offender registry but didn't find anyone who would have been around Naomi at the time of her disappearance. They continued to canvass the area and at some point they talked to Robert. When they came to, they were canvassing mm -hmm. and everything. Did, um, did they go in your apartment that they day? Came, they came in the apartment, they walked through the apartment, you know, they, um, Went in every room, went into their room. Um, and that was on Thursday that they did that? It may have been... It may have been Friday. I'm, I'm really unsure. Cause I know she said the FBI came and questioned her one night. So it may have been Thursday night when they questioned her. It may have been Friday when I talked to them. I'm really not sure exactly when. But I know I talked to them. They came in. It was Officer Paul, somebody. And um, there's another guy that came in, walked through. You know, I had to get a brake job done on my car, and before I left, they um, they searched my car and they looked through my car. Mm -hmm. So, when investigators came by Lauren's apartment the first time, only Robert was home, and he told them that he had left the apartment just before noon the day Naomi went missing and didn't come back until about 4 p.m. Then he left again at 4:30 to go to work. He explained that he had dropped Lauren off at work after her lunch break stopped at the Dollar Tree and then drove to Bruton to visit a woman he was cheating on Lauren with named Yolundra Mitchell. He said that she could verify his whereabouts. He was also open with the detectives about his status as a registered sex offender. His name hadn't come up when authorities searched the registry previously because his address put him on Alabama's sex offender registry, not Florida's. At that point, authorities looked around the apartment and even looked in Robert's car and didn't find anything suspicious, so they moved on. It was the next day that investigators came back to the apartment and were able to question both Robert and Lauren. This time, Robert said that he had been at the apartment building after dropping Lauren back off at work after lunch. 
Detective Wirt said that she's not sure why his story was different, but assumed that Lauren knew the truth, so Robert wasn't able to lie in front of her. It definitely raised suspicion, which led authorities to get a warrant for his cell phone records. In the meantime, on June 5th, a couple of friends were looking for a good place to go fishing when they stumbled across the remains of a young girl. When police arrived on the scene, they were able to confirm that it was the body of Naomi Jones. She was found face down in the water wearing a sports bra and a tank top. She was nude from the waist down. On the ground near the bridge was a package from Rhino Stamina Pills. That piece of evidence would become important later on. Her autopsy revealed a piece of duct tape in her hair and a piece of gum in her mouth. She had lacerations on her cheek and jawline, and she had significant trauma to her genital area. Male DNA was found in Naomi, but the sample was too degraded to get a full DNA profile. On June 7th, authorities brought Robert into the station for a recorded interview. At this point, they just wanted to get a specific timeline of where he was on the day that Naomi was kidnapped. This time, he went back to his previous story that he left for Bruton immediately after dropping Lauren off at work. He explained that he was going to visit his quote-unquote friend, Yolundra, before she left to go to a funeral. But by the time he got to town, she had already left. He said that he had been on the phone with her, but she really couldn't be used as an alibi since she hadn't actually seen him. Robert being too late to see her before she left for the funeral kind of supported the idea that he left Pensacola later than he claimed to have. He told investigators that he went by his trailer and then realized that he didn't have his work boots or rain gear with him, so he drove back to Pensacola to get them from Lauren's apartment. While he was back at the apartment, he was asked if he had seen Naomi, to which he said no and left to drive back to Bruton to go to work. How come on a Wednesday you went to Bruton, came home just to get your stuff, and then went right back because to work? Because I went to see my friend. Uh-huh. I mean, this is somebody that my girlfriend knows nothing about, so mm -hmm. I went to see her. Because I said her uncle had passed, mm -hmm. so I'm going to see her. Right. How come you didn't take your stuff with you, though? That just seems like a whole lot of driving to me. I do a whole lot of driving, believe it or not. But, I mean, I was dressed. I mean, I just didn't have my, my boots or my rain gear. Mm -hmm. So, I had to come back to get that. Is there anybody that you can think as of? A, as a matter of fact, uh, I talked to Jeffrey right before I came back to Pensacola. The guy I worked with told him that I'm going back to Pensacola. Get something, and I'll be back. Okay. During this interview, Robert is calm and cooperative, though investigators are still suspicious of him. Once they received his cell phone records, they saw that his cell phone location put him at the apartment complex at the time Naomi went missing, a time that he repeatedly said he wasn't there. Not only that, but investigators found the camera footage from the buses that went right in front of the apartment complex. One bus passed at around 1.30 p.m. that showed Robert's car parked at the apartments. When the next bus passed, just after Naomi went missing, Robert's car was gone. Investigators had also been canvassing for surveillance footage around the area of the bridge where Naomi's body had been found. 
A few hours after being questioned at the station the first time, the detectives caught surveillance footage of Robert's car driving aimlessly around the area of the bridge. They turned right around and brought him back in for another interview. He spent just over two hours denying having any contact with Naomi or being in an area known as Lincoln Park, which was where Naomi's body was recovered. What if, what if I were to tell you that your car was in the area where her body was found that night? No, that's impossible. Why? I mean, because it, it could have been. Why? Tell me why. Because when I have my car, it's either at work. When I live work, it comes straight back to um, Johnson Avenue, Lawrence Apartment. Did anybody else have your car that night? No one ever has my car. So you don't know? Does Lauren ever drive your car? She has a few times, but it's been mm, a little while since she drove my car. You don't ever loan your car out? No. Okay. If we were to subpoena your phone records, are they going to show you in that area? They're going to show me in that area. The investigators suggest that they're going to subpoena his phone records, but of course, they had already done that, and unsurprisingly, the location data put him in the area. The thing about that is, is that we already have your phone records. Okay. And you were at the apartments at 1.30. I was gone at 1.30. Phone records show no. You were there at 1.30. That phone number that you gave me, this phone number we subpoenaed mm -hmm. for the records, you were at the apartments at 1.30. You were not in Bruton. I was on my way to Bruton. You were. I'm not going to argue okay. with you. I mean, you don't have to argue, but, but okay, just, okay. If you say I was at the apartment, just please search my last. Nothing has been changed in my car since the day that the first officer Flip through it and look through it. Everything is in there. If you find anything in that car, it's going to be from Yolanda Mitchell. When she sits in that front seat and talks to me. Other than that, that's it. He denies, 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 but eventually realizes that they have the evidence that puts him in Lincoln Park in the early morning hours of June 1st. He finally decides that he needs to explain that evidence away and comes up with this brilliant story. All shit aside, all bullshit aside. No, I said I don't. I don't know nothing about this kid. And that's that's it. fine. I just want to know why you were over there. When I came home, sometimes when I come home at night, I ride around to see what I can find out to hook up with. Okay. And that's what I was doing. Did you hook up with anybody that night? No. No, you didn't find. Yeah. Do you know that area, or you just were driving I just was around? Driving. Okay. Just were driving. All right. Well, I mean, we know you were there. So that, I mean, that makes more sense than saying I was never there because we know you were. But as far as having that kid, I ain't never had nothing to do with that kid. Never. That's why I said I was never going to clean my car out or anything because I want them to search that car. I want them to put lights, lamps, whatever. There's blood on the side of the car. Don't know where it come from. Don't know nothing about it. He was driving around a random neighborhood trying to find someone to hook up with? At like 2 in the morning? Just driving around looking for a random woman willing to have sex with him? It doesn't make sense. And it just happened to be in the exact same place that Naomi's body was dumped? 
and you just happen to be in the exact same place where she went missing, but that's all a coincidence. You probably have the better chance of winning the fucking lottery than you do of being where a girl is picked up and where she is dropped off, murdered, whatever you want to call it, disposed of. Basically like a piece of trash. Thrown over half naked like a piece of trash. It makes you look like just one sorry fucking bastard. The problem with Robert's story, outside of the obvious, was that there wasn't a camera that directly saw the bridge, but there were cameras on either side. The surveillance footage showed his car leave the screen, with the only place it could be going being the bridge, and then it takes almost two minutes to come into the frame in the next screen, at the camera on the other side of the bridge. It was clear that he had stopped on the bridge, but that was the second time he had driven over the bridge that morning. Cameras in the area showed Robert driving around the area aimlessly for a while, but once he found the bridge, he stopped. The first time, though, a truck was seen driving toward the bridge, and then Robert's car can be seen leaving the area. He pulls into a driveway, turns around, and goes back to the bridge, and it's the second time that he's there for approximately two minutes before being picked up by the camera coming off of the bridge. That's the exact time that he dumped Naomi's body into the creek below. He spent another two hours denying that he ever stopped on the bridge. He agreed that the evidence made him look guilty, but he maintained the position that it was all some major coincidence. At some point, Detective Wirt left the interview and her supervisor took over. They felt like a fresh perspective could help push Robert to tell the truth. And Detective Wirt would later say that she also thought it was possible he didn't want to admit to what he had done in front of a woman, someone who was also a mother. We'll never know if that had anything to do with Robert's story changing again, but eventually it did. Did you understand when they were telling you that there's a camera here? Yes, I understand. Luckily, there's one right I here understand. by the intersection. Okay. We can see how long it takes okay. cars to go by. We yeah. see that you stopped. Okay. It's over. I did all that. I did all that stopping. I did all that stopping. I Why? did all that. Why? But I did not dump this body. Was somebody else with you? No, no one else was with me. You were by yourself. But I was told that something would be there. What? It wasn't. It wasn't this when I looked. Well, I didn't see this when I looked. What was supposed to be there? It was supposed to be. As far as what exactly is it supposed to be something to benefit me for like that, Jeff? Something benefit me, I guess. I mean, Some I'm, dead pussy? Fuck no, I don't hope not. But um, it was just supposed to be something, and I should have kept it. It was a note for me. It was a note on the car. All honesty, all bullshit aside. I said I never picked her up, never took her anywhere. And it says something to benefit you. From Naomi? No. No. no it, Who's it from? It didn't, it didn't have no name from nobody. Or to nobody. It was just on the car. That is the absolute worst fucking story I, I've I, ever heard. I'm, 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 and I'm telling you, the, the honest nigga, the truth. That, that when, is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Listen to me. Just okay, listen to I'm listening. Me. Here. Just listen to me. Let me hear when this. It's something to benefit you. Okay. Get the fuck out of here. 
So there was a note on his car that told him to go to the exact place that Naomi's body was dumped that said, quote, There's something to benefit you. No name, just a mystery note telling him to stop at the exact same spot that Naomi's body was dumped. Sure. And he conveniently got rid of this note. He told the detective that the note said to go to the bridge across from the DT Christian Center, which he admitted that he knew exactly where that was because he had gone to church there. But he had previously told detectives that he had never been in the area before. Robert was just completely full of lies. Finally, after hours and hours of denying that he had anything to do with Naomi's death, he admitted that he killed her, but his story still wasn't completely true. And she's making gestures, sexual gestures. Like what? Can she see the dick? Um, she can handle the dick. You know, she got a boyfriend that's 15, and this, that, and other. I'm like, well, I ain't got nothing to do with that. No, I really don't. And at this time, it's when she didn't grab my dick, but she grabbed it like my shirt, the bottom of my shirt, like she was trying to. And so when I grabbed the wrist, told her to stop, look, seriously, you need to leave. So it's like she's trying to snatch away like she's, you know, trying to fight back. And she's keeping on, keeping on. And I just, I really didn't mean for things to go where they did. I didn't try to hurt the child. But before I realized I had choked her out. How? Just around the neck? Choked out around the neck. And I said, I didn't really mean for it to happen. I didn't mean to do it. You know, I heard when she was found. That's why I said, I don't, I would really like for them to take a DNA test because they said when she was found, she didn't have one no bottom. She was fully dressed. His story was that Naomi came to Lauren's apartment and asked where Lauren was. Robert told her that Lauren was at work, and at that point, Naomi asked if she could come in. Robert claimed that he told her no and he told her to go home. He said that she continued to aggressively try to come into the apartment and he continued to tell her she couldn't. At some point, she finally made it into the apartment just past the threshold and she started making sexual advances at him. Her persistence angered Robert and he choked her until he thought she had passed out, but it turned out that she was actually dead. This is all a bunch of bullshit. There's no way that Naomi was making sexual advances towards him. Robert lured that little girl over to the apartment, raped her and killed her so there wouldn't be a third person to report him and send him back to prison. He claimed that when he dumped her body, she was fully clothed, but that's just another omission in a long line of omissions from his stories. First, he had nothing to do with it, wasn't at the apartment when she went missing and had never been to Lincoln Park. Then, he was at the apartment when she went missing, but didn't have anything to do with it. Then, he was also at Lincoln Park, but never stopped on the bridge. Then, he did stop on the bridge, but still had nothing to do with it. Then, he killed her, but he didn't remove her clothing. He's advancing his story just as much as he has to based on the evidence while continuing to minimize the severity of his crime. So he dumped her body in a creek and then her pants magically went missing? It's just stupid. He told the detective that after he realized that she was dead, he carried her out to his car and put her in the back seat. 
Then he drove to Bruton and went to his trailer, trying to figure out what he was going to do. He realized that he didn't have his work boots and rain gear, so he drove back to Pensacola to pick them up, and that's when someone asked him if he had seen Naomi. He told them no while her dead body was in his back seat. After that, he went to work. He worked his whole shift while Naomi's body was in his back seat, and he even went to visit Yolanda while on his lunch break, with a dead body in the back seat of his car. When he got off of work, he found somewhere to dispose of the body. I got to find something to do with his body. You know, I can't leave it here. You know, it's going to smell. Somebody's going to find it. Um, and I tried to think of everything I could think of. I just kept coming my initial. Um, when I finally just decided, okay, I got to dump it somewhere. I just got to dump it. But I didn't know where. You know, I said, well, I can't take it to, you know, put it in no dumpster nowhere because it's easy to be found. I said, well, you know, so I, my initial thought was to just keep going 29 south, you know, just as far as I can just make myself go and just find somewhere just to dump the body out. And I was like, well, fuck it, I'll turn here. You know, I guess that's whatever street that is. I went down and... You know, I went all the way down, just trying to find somewhere to try to dump his body, but, you know, was, you know, scared to get out, scared to stop, I was scared of being seen, so I really don't know what to do. I ride all the way back around, you know, to the curb where it just sit on the stage. Turn around and come back up and come back up and I take the right where the bridge is and I see it, I'm thinking, well, Maybe here is a good place, but then again, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know how this bridge flows or where it flows to. Then I know this company is right next door, so I'm like, well, maybe it might be found. Robert Howard was arrested and charged with first-degree murder and kidnapping. Investigators continued to piece together evidence of the crime because, if Robert's story was true, he could only be convicted of second-degree murder at the most. They knew that his story wasn't true, though, and made sure that the prosecutor would be able to make a charge of first-degree intentional homicide stick. One thing that investigators received, along with Robert's cell phone data, was the internet search history. In the morning hours before Naomi went missing, Robert had watched videos on various porn sites. Some videos were titled, quote, Hot Women Having Sex, quote, Rockhard schlong for a darksome princess, and, quote, Black Wench will surely excite you. Why do I feel like those audio clips are going to come back to haunt me? Many of the porn sites that Robert visited were geared toward teenage amateur porn, something that gave investigators insight on what Robert was really interested in. This website activity also happened at the same time Robert claimed to have been at the gym that morning, and when investigators checked at the gym, they found that he had actually never been there. It seemed that he was watching porn and getting himself worked up enough to kidnap a 12-year-old girl. His internet search history also showed searches for, quote, fixing erectile dysfunction, and investigators found an email that had been sent to Robert reminding him of some items he had in a shopping cart at a supplement website. In the shopping cart was a bottle of supplements called, quote, Big Jim Penis Enlargement Pills. 
If you remember, there was a package of rhino stamina pills at the site where Naomi's body was recovered. Yet another coincidence? The most important piece of evidence in the case was the duct tape that was found in Naomi's hair. When they searched Robert's home, they found duct tape that matched the duct tape found on Naomi. So investigators knew that the duct tape on Naomi came from Robert, but why was it there? If he had choked her in a spur-of-the-moment event and then disposed of her body, why would he use duct tape? You don't need to restrain someone after they're dead. The truth was, Robert kidnapped Naomi and had intentionally killed her at some point afterward. It was likely that his purpose was to rape her, but since they weren't able to get a DNA profile from the fluids found in Naomi's body, the prosecution wasn't able to prove that. Robert's defense didn't really have much to fight with. Before the trial started, they tried to get his confession thrown out, claiming the detectives lied about him being under arrest, but the judge disagreed. There may have been some confusion about whether or not Robert was under arrest at the time of his second interview, but the detectives still read him his rights, and his confession was of his own free will while he knew he could stop talking at any point. During the trial, Robert continued to claim that Naomi had come on to him. He snapped and strangled her, and then dumped her body, fully clothed, into the creek. Of course, the evidence said otherwise. The jury deliberated for only about 90 minutes before finding Robert Howard guilty on all counts. After Naomi's family made their impact statement, the judge sentenced Robert to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He will never be released from prison, which is a good thing since he already had two victims when he was released the first time and went on to escalate to murder. He is clearly the type of monster that shouldn't be out in society. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe.